If you have your Bible this morning, we'll be in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Thank you for being here this morning. We have several folks who are visiting with us today. We're glad that you're here. Hope that you can come back and be with us at other opportunities. We'll be meeting together again at 5 o'clock for our Bible studies. And uh, Frank's going to talk to us about the preaching of the gospel in Africa at 4.15. So we're looking forward to that as well. Jesus uh, gives us to us in Mark the 10th chapter the account of the rich young ruler. It's, uh, it's a very well-known account. And I, I think it is a passage of Scripture that we... We very often, because of our familiarity with it, we very often rush to a conclusion about what the passage is about, what the lesson is for us in the passage, and then we move on. It's a passage we very often look at when we're talking about the dangers of riches in this life, the danger of materialism, the danger of having an abundance of stuff. And then we think about, we think about those rich people. You know, you know, those people. And how soon we forget that in comparison to the rest of the world, all of us here this morning are those rich people. We have food to eat, clothes to wear. We have places to live in. We are protected from the elements. We, we are, in, in so many respects, the rich people of the world. This young man, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus, the text says, and he's asking him, what, what do I need to do to go to heaven, to have eternal life? And, and Jesus said, well, what, what does the law say? You know, you know the commandments? That, he said, well, I did all of that. And we think, ah, oh, this, this guy, who, who does he think he is? Some spoiled rich kid. He probably grew up, you know, in a house. We had servants all around him and uh, his dad probably bought him a car before he had his driver's license. He, he, he was living the good life. What, what does he know about anything? He's just an arrogant little brat. But I want to say to you this morning that the text really does not indicate to us that he was an arrogant, spoiled rich kid. And so before you denigrate this young man too much, before we disparage him and just write him out, after all, you know what happens in the end. He goes away sorrowful because he just had so much stuff. And we just write him off. Listen carefully. I want to suggest to you three or four things that you ought to think about regarding this guy. First of all, He was eager to find Jesus. And and I'm telling you, we're we're living in a world where that can't be said of everyone. We're not surrounded by a world that's just full of people who are eager to find Jesus. But my text says that as he was setting out on his journey, Jesus that is, a man ran up to him. He didn't come casually walking by. He just happened to bump into him on his way, you know, to his club. He ran up to Jesus. He is looking for him. He is running after him. I'm I'm telling you, folks, 
There is something to be said for this rich young ruler. The very fact that in his lifetime, when many of the aristocracy were turning their backs on this prophet from Galilee who was a bit bizarre for their taste, this young man runs to Jesus looking for him. What a wonderful thing. I'm reminded of a tax collector named Zacchaeus who also was eager to find Jesus. I'll tell you what, what the Lord really wants us to do in our evangelistic efforts is to go into all the world and find folks who are eager to find him and carry to them the message that they are eager to hear. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and he was rich. I think sometimes we have a lot of reverse spiritual discrimination in thinking that if a person has something, they can't be spiritually minded. If they have something, they must be materially minded. Sometimes in life, the people who don't have something are the ones who are focused on material things, what they want. Materialism doesn't doesn't show partiality to the rich or the poor. It is an attitude about the stuff of life and and what is important. Here is a, a tax collector who is a rich man, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. And he ran ahead of the crowd and he climbed up into a sycamore tree just to see Jesus because he was about to pass that way. I want to ask you something. Do you think we inconvenience ourselves that much to try to see Jesus? Just to get a glimpse of him along the way? We don't see him physically with our eyes, but I mean we see him with our minds, with our understanding, with our ears as we hear about Do Do you think we really work that hard to see him? In life and in the word, Zacchaeus did. This young tax collector ran to Jesus. You remember in Mark, the second chapter, the the paralytic whose four friends bring him to Jesus and they can't even get in the house because of the crowd. So they take the roof off the house and lower him down. I'm telling you, folks. There is something to be said for an attitude of heart that is eager to find Jesus. But I'll tell you something else about this young man that should cause you to pause and reflect and give a little respect here. He he not only was eager to find Jesus, but he showed reverence to Jesus. The text says that when he ran up to Jesus, he knelt before him and he addressed him as Good teacher. There is a reason why that one of the most basic of the Ten Commandments in the Decalogue, one of the most basic commandments of the Decalogue, had to do with the name of God. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. There's a reason for that, and it's all about respect. God said, one of the most fundamental things you're going to have to understand about me is that I'm different. I was before you, I am above you, I am the creator of all things. 
Act like you understand that. This young man understood that. I want to tell you something. In the first century, not everybody was running up to Jesus. Not everybody was eager to see Jesus. And not everyone, when they encountered Jesus, showed respect for Jesus. But I'm telling you, this rich young man did. He was eager to find Jesus. And when he found him, he dropped to his knees showing respect to him. How is it possible that we can come into an assembly to worship God and forget to show respect for the Lord? How is that possible? He showed respect to him. He addressed him with respect. You remember when he was born? The others came to him. The magi, they they fell down and they worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. You remember when he calmed the sea during the storm? You remember when they got into the boat and the wind stopped and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you're the Son of God. I'm telling you, Jesus was surrounded by a host of people who did not show reverence for him. But I'm also reminding you this morning that this rich young ruler, before you just write him off as some spoiled rich brat, he was eager to find Jesus. And when he found him, he fell on his knees in front of him, worshiping him, calling him good teacher. You remember the sinful woman who came to Jesus in the house of Simon the Pharisee, and she fell at his feet, kneeling at his feet, washing his feet with the tears and wiping his feet with her hair. She anointed him. And so on that day, when the disciples had come to the tomb and the women had come to the tomb and everybody is looking for the body of Jesus, those women departed from quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and they ran to tell his disciples. And Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. And I'm saying to you this morning, that is exactly what this rich young ruler did. He not only was eager to find Jesus, when he found him, he showed reverence to him. But I'll tell you thirdly, he asked a good question of the Lord. A, a good question. His question was, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Of all the things he could have asked. Remember, he is a rich, young ruler. I suspect he had a very good private education. I suspect that there were a lot of things about the world around him. Concerning which he was quite astute. I I suspect that he had a lot of interest And some of the mundane things of life, like economical things. 
But he didn't ask Jesus about the market. He he didn't ask Jesus about about trading silver and gold. He, He didn't ask Jesus about where he should put his investment. He didn't ask Jesus about futures in next year's corn crop. He didn't ask Jesus about any of that kind of stuff. He had one shot. He had one opportunity. This was his one opportunity to ask the Lord a question. What did he ask him? He didn't ask about his mom or his dad. He didn't ask about his grandparents. He didn't ask about his girlfriend. He didn't ask about anything like that. He asked Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? That's impressive. That is impressive because he knew who Jesus was. He was eager to find Jesus. He showed reverence to Jesus. He's asking spiritual questions. People ask Jesus good questions all the time. John the Baptist, you remember, when when he is in prison about to die, he sends the disciple, his own disciples to Jesus and said, go and ask him, are you the one who is to come or do we look for someone else? That was a good question to ask the Lord. In that hour, Jesus cured many of their diseases. And they saw the lame walk, the lepers cleansed, the blind received their sight. And, And then Jesus said, go back and tell John, These things. A good question. Are you the Christ? Everyone ought to ask that question. Jesus said, when the 5,000 had been fed and then they go away, when he doesn't feed them anymore, and Jesus said, "Are, Are you going to go away also? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? What a great question. To whom shall we go? There's no one else. Or at the supper that night when they were eating. And Jesus said, truly I'm telling you, one of you is going to betray me. And one by one, their hearts were broken and they began to say, is it I? If you've never asked that question of the Lord, you ought to. Is it I, Lord? Is it, I, I'm telling you, the rich young ruler, he, he's taken a bad rap in many respects. I, I understand how this narrative ends, but I'm telling you, I'm not sure we give honor to whom honor is due the way the story begins. Lord, how often does my brother sin against me and I forgive him? What a great question. And then I want to say to you finally, Don't write off this young man. He was serious in his obedience. Somebody says, oh, he is just some some rich bratty kid who always had what he wanted. He never had to lift his finger and do a thing. He never had to obey a rule. Not so. Not so. He said to Jesus, teacher, all of these things I have kept. Jesus said to him essentially, He's asking, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, essentially, you need to live by the law. And he said to the Lord, Lord, I have lived by the law. Since the time I was a child, I had to live by the law. And what does the text say? Does the text say Jesus looked at him and said, you've got to be kidding me. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what the text says. 
The text says that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. You know what I think that means? Exactly what it says. That Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And you know what he saw in that young man? He saw a very, very sincere young man who had been given many advantages. A young man who was now eager to find Jesus, running to him. A young man who showed reverence to him as God. A young man who asked spiritually minded questions of him. A young man who, though he had access to all of the vices of life, he had lived according to the law. And Jesus loved him. It's important to be sincere in our obedience to God. The Apostle Paul said, if anyone thinks that they've been a good Jew, I've been a better Jew. Paul said, I don't want you to think because I'm I'm following Christ now that I wasn't serious in my Judaism. I was, Paul said. I was serious about obeying God. If anybody had reason for confidence in the flesh, I did. But he said, I want to tell you something even now. Not that I have already obtained this or I am already made perfect, but I press on. He's going to say in verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul was serious about his obedience. He was serious about his obedience and he was sincere in acknowledging that in spite of all he had already done, there was still, you remember the title of the lesson, there was still room for improvement. I'll tell you something about the rich young ruler and this is why the story really bothers us. The rich young ruler, in reality, was a lot like us, wasn't he? A lot like us. You're here this morning. You're here this morning because you have some initiative toward God. You've taken initiative toward God. You are a seeker of God. You are looking for God. That's why people come. That's who we are. People who are seeking the Lord. And you're here showing reverence to the Lord. We have been singing hymns of worship to God. We have been praying to the Lord. We are about to engage in a memorial Supper to the Lord, eating of the bread, drinking of the cup, memorializing the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. 
We're here to ask questions about our own eternal life. And we are serious about wanting to do what is right. That's why we study the Bible. We look at the rich young ruler and the truth of the matter is he was much like us. So much like us. But what did Jesus say to him? Something very strange. He said, Teacher, all of these things I have observed from my youth. I'm in verse 21. And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him. And he said, One thing thou lackest. Go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Go and sell all that you have. Somebody says, that's the lesson right there, that God wants us to sell everything. No. That's what Jesus told that young man to do. In his situation at that time, in that moment, when he said, Lord, I I have kept the law. Is there anything else? Is there any room for improvement? What's the next step? Jesus said, I'll tell you what the next step is for you. Because this is what is hindering you. This is your Stumbling block. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, you'll have your treasure in heaven and come and follow me. That's your next step. Now, that's interesting to us. But what is is meaningful to us is this. What's my next step? What's mine? Lord, I'll tell you what. I, Lord, I heard the gospel. Pre- I went to church. I listened to the preaching. Bless you. Lord, I, I, I obeyed the gospel. I became a Christian. I was baptized. Good. Lord, I worshiped on Sundays with the Christians, and I ate the Lord's Supper, and I prayed, and I said, good. That's, that's wonderful. What's the next step? Is there room for improvement? Everybody has a next step. Everybody does. And and Jesus is reminding us in this story that everybody has room for improvement. I'm saying to you this morning, if you're not a Christian... Your next step ought to be obvious because if you're not a Christian, the very next step you need to make is that step where you commit yourself to being a follower and disciple of the Lord, submitting to Him in baptism to be united with Him so that you walk together with Him and live for Him. That's your next step. 
That is the very next step you need to take. Don't go away sorrowful this morning. But what if you are a Christian? What if we are Christians and we're sitting here this morning? Lord, is there anything else? In one sense, we could say, what a blessing it would be if the Lord could say to us, one thing thou lackest. What would the Lord say to us? Is our room for improvement our next step? I want to say to you this morning as we are concluding this lesson, As we're sitting here thinking about our own spiritual life and our relationship with the Lord. Is there something in your life that needs to be corrected that should have been corrected a long time ago? I'm saying this morning, that's your next step. Is there something you need to say to God that you should have said to Him a long time ago that you you really cannot go any further in serving Him until you get the table cleared. You just need to say it. That's your next step. Are there wrongs in your life that you need to acknowledge and you just need to, you just need to deal with it and move on? That's your next step. And is it the case that to our faith we need to supply virtue and to our virtue knowledge and knowledge temperance and temperance patience and patience godliness and godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness supply love? Are those the things that we yet lack? That's our next step. But this morning as we extend the invitation of the Lord, All of us have to decide in seeing before us in our own mind our own next step. Everybody's racing through their Rolodex of life experiences right now. You know what's there. As we're thinking about that, we have to decide. Are we going to deal with that? I mean, fully and completely. The scriptural terminology is mortify it, kill it. Jesus said, sell it all, if that's the problem. Are we going to deal with it? Or are we going to go away sorrowful? Because we're packing a big bag. Our prayer is that for each one of us, we resolve in our hearts that we're going to take the next step. If you're not a Christian, won't you come this morning in obedience? And if you're a child of God who needs to come home, won't you come right now while we stand and sing?